Well, thank you so much, Mark and Simbri and Robert. What a great say. Thank you. It's a joy to be here with you in my own church. Always a joy to be home and to have an opportunity to share with you. I want us to think for a few moments this morning about living with the consequences. As noted earlier by Dr. Watts, tomorrow will be Memorial Day, a very special day in the life of our nation when we recognize those who have, in the marvelous words, never said with greater clarity and elegance and simplicity than by Abraham Lincoln, those who gave the last full measure of devotion. I would like us to begin our thoughts of preparing for Memorial Day by recognizing those who have served in the armed forces. If you have been in any of our service of the armed forces, would you please stand and let us recognize you today? On behalf of all of us and all of our nation, thank you for all that you have done. But we cannot simply stop there, can we? Because every soldier, every airman, every sailor, every Marine, every member of every armed forces is not only an individual serving their company. They are from a family and a circle of family and friends who feels deeply every part of their deployment in our nation's service. If you are a family member of one of our armed service forces members, past or present, would you please stand and let us honor and recognize you for your part in this sacrificial service. Thank you so very much. And now I want us to recognize that loss, that sacrifice, that last full measure of devotion that is at the heart of the Memorial Day celebration. I would ask all of you to stand with me and turn your eyes to the screen as we remember those who served with such sacrifice. Heavenly Father, may we always remember that the freedom we so enjoy comes at a cost. It will always come at a cost, a cost to win, a cost to sustain. May we ever be, Father, a nation that is willing to bear that cost, but Father, may we always, without fail, be a nation who loves, affirms, appreciates, and walks alongside not only the members of our military, but their families as well, living out the consequences of such deep devotion to our nation and to our freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. It is one thing to honor and remember 
those who have made such sacrifices, who have given that last full measure of devotion. But it is another thing to live with the consequences of that sacrifice. For it is our families of our military who live far beyond that moment of remembrance, that notable call to honor and respect the sacrifice. That chair around the table is always empty. Those hugs, those words of affirmation and encouragement are no longer there. And that presence and the loss of that presence that is felt by so many when a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a cousin, an uncle, an aunt are no longer here as a result of their sacrifice to our country. It is living with the consequences that is so hard for our families to bear. It is something we don't often talk about in church, but it is something that is a part of our life experience and it is a part of God's Word For whenever you and I are dealing with a tough and a difficult issue, that is always the place that we turn, to the Word of God. And so I want us to do so today to the book of Lamentations, if you want to be turning there. The very first time that I ever stood before a painting in a museum transfixed was in the Reich Museum of Amsterdam as I stood before a painting of Jeremiah the prophet. And they should be putting that on the screen right now. As I stood before this unbelievable painting, it was a scene that is one of the most poignant scenes in all of the Bible. Jeremiah was a prophet, a great man of God. And with all of his heart and all of his skill and all of his passion, he preached to his people He preached directly to his king. He warned those in power. He warned the people on the streets that unless they repented, God's judgment was coming and God's judgment would be the destruction of the nation, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And when the Babylonian army was camping outside the walls of the city, Jeremiah said, the destruction is now. The judgment is now. You might as well surrender. God's hammer of judgment is falling. And they ignored him. And they ridiculed him. And they mocked him. And then the city fell. It has been a sad chuckle in many an American heart when we had to listen to a radio preacher say the world was going to end last week and it never happened. But I will assure you, when it happened as Jeremiah said it was going to happen, there was no triumph. When you look at that painting by Rembrandt, here's the scene. When you stand in front of it and you see in the background the city aflame as it is being destroyed, And you see Jeremiah with Rembrandt, always the light. Look at the light. And you see the light on Jeremiah's face. And I will tell you, that painting, as it hangs in the Reich Museum, has the most poignant, moving expression on a face that I have ever seen in a painting anywhere in all the world. He is leaning on a copy of the Word of God as his city is falling apart. And you see almost that line of light separating the judgment of God and the one who foretold it, and now the one who has to live with the consequences. For it was his city. The dead were his friends. The nation was his nation. And as family members of our military have to deal with this awful conflict between pride and grief, 
there was Jeremiah, right, but devastated. And out of that moment came the little book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Lamentations I would entitle the cry of a broken heart. And it is, in my opinion, the saddest book in all the Bible. Now, whenever you go to a jewelry store and you want to look at a diamond, that jeweler will never put the diamond on top of the glass case, will he? First, he will spread out a black velvet cloth, and then he will put the diamond on top of that black cloth so that its radiance and brilliance stands out. In that same way, you can consider lamentations and the grief of lamentations to be the black velvet against which God gives us a diamond of great encouragement, a diamond of great hope. For there is, in this saddest of all Bible books, a wonderful truth for the people of God. But let's begin by looking and hearing a little bit of the lamentation of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. You'll find the words on the screen. If you do not have your Bible open, you ought to have either your Bible or your iPad or your smartphone uh, open to God's Word. I think you'll want to remember this passage. Verse 15. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. And he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. And my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished. And so has my hope from the Lord. I remember my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood, and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers, and it is bowed down within me. To quote an ancient Hebrew expression, wow! This is not the kind of language we usually hear from our preachers, is it? This is not an atheist. This is not an unbeliever, a skeptic. This is a prophet. This is one of the most powerful preachers that ever served the living God. This is a man whose intimacy with God was so very deep, God could reveal to him what was going to be before it happened. And out of this faithful heart, out of this devoted life, came this cry of almost unspeakable grief. One of the first things for us to realize is that grief, loss, is a part of the human experience and therefore a part of the believer's experience. Some people feel odd coming to church when they have an anger towards God in their heart. Some people feel odd coming to church 
dreading the question, how are you doing when you're not doing well? When there is a sorrow and a sadness and a travail in your spirit. But I will tell you, if any place in all the world has a place for people like that, this is the place. For this is a part of the human experience, and it does not catch God by surprise, nor should it catch us by surprise. In fact, the proper Christian attitude when that grief and that loss descends upon you ought to be the instinctive response. Well, I guess it's my turn. It is a part of us all. The question is, what do we do with it? If you're coming to God to help you avoid it, it won't work. It will find you. Somehow, some way, in some life experience, it will find you. If you think that your relationship with the Lord will keep you from it, well, tell that to Jeremiah. The question is not what can you do to avoid it or to hide from it or to ignore it. The question is what to do when you're in it. And it is at this point that God throws a lifeline. One of the reasons why we know that the Bible is God's Word is that it is so honest. It is so open about all of life. And here God gives us the cry of this broken-hearted prophet who preached what was going to come, who experienced the reality of that, and who was not filled with victory, was not filled with pride, was not filled with confidence, was instead filled with an unspeakable grief and sorrow. And in the midst of this very vivid language of grief and despair, we get the lifeline that is always attached to the people of God. Whenever we were replacing the steeple in our chapel after Hurricane Katrina, it was still standing, the storm didn't blow it over, but the structural damage was so great that it could not withstand another storm and we had to replace it. We had the new steeple made and when they came to deliver it, they had this unbelievable machine out there to lift it in place and as a part of that process, I was there watching and they said, well, Dr. Kelly, let's send you up as high as the steeple is going to be. And I said, well, okay, and they put me in this little uh, platform And before I could get off the ground, they had to hook a lifeline onto me. And I wondered why, because I wasn't planning on going anyplace. I wasn't going to move. But in fact, as we began lifting up off the ground, and there were two of us uh, going up, and they lifted me up and up and up to as high as the steeple of the chapel, and I discovered the wind on the ground has nothing to do with the wind in the air. Blowing a lot harder up there. And it is a rule. Whenever they go up, they always have you attached to a lifeline. So whatever happens, if you slip, if you fall, you cannot fall far. There is a lifeline that God gives his children. Look with me, beginning to verse 21. This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses Indeed, never cease, for his compassions never fail. And there is wonder 
in those words. The Lord's loving kindnesses. This is one of those Hebrew words that seminary students come to school and take Hebrew and go through all the grief of learning it in order to meet. The word kesed is a word that is a very vivid, powerful, almost untranslatable word. It is often translated in the Bible, covenant love. It is translated loving kindness. It is a word that means from God's initiative, God has made a covenant with you to love you no matter what. It is of the Lord's loving kindnesses that never fail. That's that second phrase. It it is a word that means to complete, not to complete. You never get to the end. You cannot finish the loving kindnesses of God. And then there is another word very closely related to that word, to loving kindness, translated often the mercies of God. Here, the compassions of God. It is a word that is related to the root word for the womb of the mother giving birth to her children. It is a mother's kind of love. Now, everybody, every phone company in America will tell you the number one day for phone calls in the United States every year is Mother's Day. That is a one point when just about all of us have some contact with our moms because we know they gave us life and they do so much for us and our moms never quit on us, do they? God's love never quits on his children. And another word like that first word for fail, it's another word that means it never gets to the end. It is never completed. It is never finished. So what we have in verse 22, these three keys, we have the loving kindness of God that is always there. It is coming out of his initiative. We did not cry out for him. He chose to love us. That loving kindness never finishes never gets worn out, never gets used up, never gets to the end. He has the love a mother has for a child. He has that unbreakable bond of love for us, and it never does end. These are the three keys that we know about God. His initiative. He chose to love us regardless of our circumstances. That love, that mercy, that unbreakable commitment to love will never finish. We'll never get to the end of it. As unbreakable is the bond of a mother for her child, even more unbreakable is God's love for us. Now, those are the three keys. That is the backdrop of what God does for us in these times. But the best news is what's next. And this is the point that you must understand. This is what you want to write down in the margin of your Bible or on the back of your program. What's next? Look at verse 23. I'll read 22 again. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. One of the greatest misconceptions is that there is a moment in time when God gets you through grief and despair. Friends, Romans, and countrymen, 
Lend me your ears. Let me bury an idea and not praise it. There is no moment in time when it's over. What I have learned in my own life is that my emotions, like grief and discouragement, anger or depression, as life unfolds, yes, they get to a point where they don't dominate my thinking every moment. But at any given moment, it may be hearing a song, it may be seeing a face, it may be something somebody says, something I read, something triggers that grief, that despair, that sorrow that is there, and suddenly I'm there all over again. And there is not a point in time, there is not a prayer you can pray, there is not a commitment you can make, there is not a point in time where you will end forever that sense of sorrow and that sense of loss. That will only come in glory. When Revelation tells us at the end of time, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eye. Until then, the most important thing to understand is that God's precious mercy and love is new and fresh every morning. It will always be there. It will be there if you have gone three months without a sense of sorrow and suddenly the tears begin to fall. God's mercy is there. It is not old. It is not stale. It is not worn out. The lifeline that we have is that God's Mercy is new and fresh every day. However deep is the well of your grief, the well of God's mercy and grace is deeper still. However long the journey of your loss, the distance God will walk with you is further still. However great are the adjustments the circumstances of life force you to make or your family to make, God's grace and strength are greater still. Every single day, whatever you need to get through that day, that moment, you will have a fresh outpouring of the grace and mercy of God. And this is the promise that God gives me and God gives you. This is how we live with the consequences. Knowing there will not be that moment when we can put it all aside forever and know the grief will never come back. But there is the confidence of knowing whenever the grief comes, so does the mercy of God. Whenever the sorrow comes, so does the love of God. Whenever the discouragement comes, so does the comfort of God. Whenever that sense of being overwhelmed comes, so does the overwhelming reality that you are in the grip of God and it is new every day however many days it takes, 
all the way to that moment when you stand before him in heaven and he takes out that great heavenly handkerchief and wipes away every tear for the last time. You see on the screen a picture of a great big old anchor. I mean, that is a big anchor. Our lifeline is tied to that anchor. That anchor is the certain knowledge that God will be faithful to be there every day, all the way through the living out of the consequences of life. The consequences of loss and grief. The consequences of surprise and uncertainty. The consequences of discouragement or depression. God will be faithful to be there every morning with a new, fresh bucket of his mercy to soak you down for the day. I want you to help me conclude this sermon. Before I give you my final word and we have our time of invitation, Robert and our musicians are going to come up and we are going to sing together the conclusion of this sermon. It's a word from an insurance salesman. When's the last time you came to church and thought about an insurance salesman? This insurance salesman was named Thomas Chisholm. He was called to be a Methodist minister, but after a year in the ministry, he had some severe health problems. His health broke. He had to leave the ministry, and he became an insurance salesman. He remained in poor health all through the years of his life. Now, those of you who are in the insurance salesman business know it's not for wimps. And the combination of poor health and the demands of being an insurance agent mean you're not going to make a lot of money, and he did not. He remained without much all the years of his life. But he had his faith in God, and he was meditating on this passage of Scripture. And he wrote what we now have in our hymnal as one of the great hymns of our faith. This is what he wrote when he described his experience with God. My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me on until now. But I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that He has given me many wonderful displays of His providing care for which I am filled with an astonishing gratefulness. Don't you love it? He has given me many wonderful displays of His provision and faithfulness that have filled me with an astonishing gratitude. Do you hear the echo of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23? The loving kindnesses of God never cease. They never fail. The love of God is never completed. They are new every morning. He never got well, but he continued to live. As he struggled with his health, he wrote these words, Great is thy faithfulness. Sing it with me for the conclusion of this message. Mm -hmm. 